Coming up this evening on NTD Business. Elon Musk moves to take absolute control of Twitter, but a top shareholder says no. What's next? If you thought inflation was peaking, think again. For the first time ever, Amazon imposing a fuel and inflation charge on sellers. We hear from people protesting rising prices on the streets of Argentina. Is it a sign of things to come? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here live from New York City. It seems buying Twitter isn't going to be a walk in the park for Elon Musk. He offered to buy the company outright today, but Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund, one of the company's largest shareholders, has already rejected his offer. It says Musk's $41 billion bid undervalues the company's future growth prospects, and for that reason, they're out. But luckily for Elon Musk, the Saudis don't have the final say. Twitter's board of directors will decide if the offer is up to par. Musk told the board $54.20 per share is a price Twitter shareholders will just love. It's 54% higher than the day Musk started buying Twitter stock. The board is now reviewing the offer. When asked today, Musk said the bid isn't about making money. It's about freedom of speech. A good sign as to whether there is free speech is, uh, is, is someone you don't like allowed to say something you don't like. And if that is the case, then we have free speech. And it's, it's damn annoying when someone you don't like says something you don't like. That is a sign of a healthy, functioning, uh, free speech situation. Musk says Twitter is a digital town hall, so free speech should prevail. When the Saudi prince announced his opposition to the takeover bid, Musk asked him for his views on journalistic freedom of speech. Twitter has kicked prominent influencers like Donald Trump and independent journalist James O'Keefe off its platform. Many conservatives accuse it of discriminating against them. Musk says he has the financial means to close the deal if accepted. With us live is Bill Flagg, fund manager and CEO at Ridgeline Research. Bill, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Paul. Twitter shares down today, Bill. Seems the market isn't so convinced this deal can go through. Exactly. I mean, I think that's the way to, to interpret it. Um, this is rapidly developing news. Uh, one would expect with the uh, offer being significantly higher than where the market was, that it would trade up, um, but it did. So the market is um, keeping a substantial risk premium, uh, discounting the fact that the deal will close. Um, Musk's funding is, is one question, as well as his intentions. So um, that's where we're at. On the funding, he, he seems confident that he, he can uh, follow through with it, but how exactly can he pay for it? Well, he's a master salesperson, right? And he's, uh, he's raised uh, tons and tons of money for um, Tesla over, over the years. So he's got a proven track record for raising money just on his reputation alone. Uh, he is the, one of the richest people in the world. Uh, he doesn't have that kind of money laying around. Um, but um, I'm confident he could he could definitely raise the money um, if, if he needs to. I think we're all waiting to hear from the board. How exactly will they come to their final decision? Well, they have a fiduciary responsibility. They represent the, the shareholders of Twitter, um, and they need to evaluate it on uh, you know several uh, several ways. But ultimately, I think they're going to look at it uh, very similar to the Saudi Prince. Is this the way to maximize uh, shareholders' returns? Um, given where the company's traded uh, in the last uh, year, 
and uh, the fact that the board clearly doesn't think the business model is broken and, and uh, they do have a plan for growth, um, I think it's likely they would reject uh, the offer as, as being too low. I'm not sure how familiar you are with Twitter as a company or Twitter's stock, but do you think they have a valid argument for, for claiming it is too low? I, I, you know, I don't, I don't actually own Twitter in, in my fund uh, because I do think they uh, surprise conservative voices, and I think the company would be um, a lot more valuable if they, if they did uh, change their, their practices and more, more supportive of, of freedom of speech. So actually, I kind of like my ideal scenario would be that um, uh, Musk is a board member uh, and he kind of reforms the company but keeps it public. And in that scenario, I think it would maximize long, uh, long-term returns. Um, beyond what, what his offer is now. So these are legitimate concerns for investors, these allegations of censorship of conservatives. Yes, certainly. Um, you know, I speak to a lot of uh, politically conservative individuals. That's uh, what my fund targets uh, as, as their audience, their shareholder base. And consistently for several years, both Facebook and Twitter are some of the most uh, ranked companies and uh, conservatives dislike uh, and and for suppression of uh, of conservative voices, freedom of speech issues. So very consistently, Facebook and Twitter are disliked amongst conservatives. So we know that the board has the final say in this, but what will shareholders be saying or thinking or hoping will come out of this decision? I don't. That's that's a complex um, question. Really, I can only answer from you know a, a certain perspective. Obviously, some of the largest. Um, Pension funds and mutual funds and ETFs are are holders of it, um, you know, as as part of their commingled pools. So it's 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 hard to say, but I do think they could maximize their business model by being more inclusive of conservatives and and loosening up on the freedom of speech. So I think where Musk wants to take them is is would be great for shareholder value. Like you said, fast developing story. Bill Flake, Ridgeline Research, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And a headline you usually want to hear for the economy's sake, American consumers are spending more. But these days, it's mostly because things are just more expensive. The March retail sales numbers out today went up half a percent over the month. But if you take out the 9% increase in spending at the gas pumps, retail sales actually dropped. Price of gas is up over 40% from a year ago. It has slipped a little in recent weeks. Last month, people spent more on clothing and eating out, but online sales dropped. Car sales also dropped. Car makers just don't have the cars to sell you. Now, for the first time ever, Amazon is placing a 5% fuel and inflation surcharge on sellers. Don't be surprised if the products you're getting there get more expensive. And the Fake Quarter has more. For the first time ever, Amazon is making sellers pay a 5% fuel and inflation surcharge. We may have to raise prices to offset this 5%, no question. Bill Mazielo is the founder of Uplift Flori and an Amazon seller who helps other sellers with their brands. Mazielo says this will be tough for sellers to swallow. You've already been hit with packaging increases. You've already been hit with fuel surcharges coming the other way, product getting delivered into you. Right, your 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 product costs, your raw material costs have all gone up. So it's almost like getting double charged. The surcharge only applies to U.S. sellers who use fulfillment by Amazon, a service that handles deliveries for sellers, and many do. One estimate puts it at 73 percent. There's only so far they can go to try and either absorb the cost 
or find other ways to reduce the expense of delivery. Steve Anderson is the author of the Bezos Letters. Anderson says over 50% of Amazon's products were sold by third-party sellers, so they know there will be an impact. Across the board, probably looking at slight price increases, heavier things, more dense objects would be the ones that I would suspect are going to be have the the quickest price increases. Fernando Campos is the co-founder of Marketplace Ops and an expert Amazon seller. Campos says how big the price increases will be depends on the product category. Amazon did kind of hint at this could be temporary. It's just kind of dependent on, you know, fuel going back to more of a normal state. The average gas price is currently $4.07 and the U.S. is seeing an annual inflation rate of 8.5%, the highest since 1981. Faye Quarter, NTD News. And inflation is running red hot in Argentina. It hit a 20-year high in March, according to the government there. In response to the news, thousands took to the streets of its capital yesterday to protest. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. In the midst of rising inflation, demonstrators in Argentina are demanding more money and jobs. Lulumi Carrasco is a single mother of three children. She went to the march hoping the pressure would improve their dire situation. When I go to the market, I only bring back yogurt and cereal, and I can't buy noodles or rice. I no longer have enough for meat with the food assistance program. Before, it helped a lot. I wanted to get a job because of the help they were giving me, but not now, because unfortunately, it's not enough for me. She receives money from a food assistance program for about 160 U.S. dollars, but that does not last the entire month. How do you support yourself in a house with such large increases in food, an economy where wages have not increased? With the latest figure for March, Argentina remains on the list of countries with the highest inflation in the world. There are more than 3 million or so people who have nothing, nothing. The emergency family income declared it during the pandemic. That is the reality in Argentina where today inflation is discussed, where today the National Institute of Statistics and Census is going to give the numbers. And it is terrifying because inflation is going to be more than 6% and food is going to be about 10%. The news is a heavy blow to the government of President Alberto Fernandez. He launched a war weeks ago against inflation based on a price control strategy and reached out to business and union sectors in search of a social pact. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. On Wall Street, markets were down today. The Dow fell 113 points, three-tenths of a percent. S&P lost 54 points, one and two-tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq dropped 293 points, two and one-tenth of a percent. For the week, all three major indexes posting losses ahead of the Good Friday holiday tomorrow. Also, J.P. Morgan, America's biggest bank, is kicking off earnings season, but bad news for shareholders. Russia's invasion of Ukraine, inflation, supply chain problems, the usual suspects, have hit the bank pretty hard. Its first quarter profit was down 42% from a year ago, 42%. Because J.P. Morgan is America's largest bank, it's kind of seen as a leading indicator of what's happening in the economy. Said that investment banking fees dropped by 31%. There are less equity and debt underwriting. Could be a sign of less economic activity. CEO Jamie Dimon says a recession is absolutely possible, but didn't predict when it might come. Over in Europe, 
European Central Bank announced today it will not tighten monetary policy any faster despite historically high inflation in the eurozone. The euro has fallen 10% against the dollar over the past 12 months alone, a significant depreciation. As the chief economist of the Treasury's hedge fund, Daniel Akai, manages $6 billion of assets in Europe, if the decline is purely down to central bank money printing or credit creation. Every time that there is a new meeting of the European Central Bank, uh, many investors are thinking that they're going to become more hawkish or follow what the Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, etc., are doing, and they're actually significantly behind. So that obviously makes uh, investors sell euros and buy pounds or dollars. The second is that with the Ukraine invasion and with the at least the risk of a recession in a number of countries in Europe, uh, the trade surplus of the Eurozone has strengthened dramatically. Therefore, demand for Euros globally is falling. And these two elements, uh, which mean more supply of Euros and lower demand, uh, lead investors to be more cautious about the value of the Euro relative to the US dollar and other reserve currencies. How big a problem is this for the European economy? It is a very important problem. The ECB and a number of economists in Europe tend to believe that a weak euro is a good thing because there should be uh, more exports, no? But it's a complete fallacy because the reality of the eurozone is that it has always strengthened its exports thanks to value-added goods, not because of the debasement of the currency. So why is it bad for the eurozone to have a weak euro? First, inflationary pressures are stronger for uh, the countries that import commodities from uh, food to energy commodities. Second, because the purchasing power of real wages is diminishing. So the ability of European citizens to save and to get get along with the current situation is quite difficult. So it's working quite negatively in any environment. And there is absolutely no uh, evidence that uh, a weak euro would boost exports, uh, none at all. Why doesn't the ECB seem more worried? Are individual countries in Europe benefiting perhaps from their debt being inflated away? Well, the first thing is that the disparity on the level of inflation between European countries is quite significant. If you look, for example, at uh, Spain, it has an inflation level of about 9.8%. If you look at Portugal or France, it is around 5%, which is high, but not intolerable. If you look at Germany, it is very elevated at about 7.6%. Therefore, the first problem is that countries are suffering Suffering inflationary pressures in very different ways. So that leads to uh, a disjointed response from the different governors of central banks when they meet for, uh, for the, to decide on their policy. Daniel Akai, Tresses Hedge Fund, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. And lockdowns in China are having a big impact on Japanese clothing brand Uniqlo. Its owner expects a big profit drop in China this year. Uniqlo has nearly 90 stores in Shanghai alone. Shanghai has been locked down for weeks. 
Sales struggled in greater China across March. The region includes Hong Kong. Up to 133 stores were temporarily shut down across the region. Although Uniqlo is a Japanese brand, it has more stores in China than it does in its home country. And still to come, stay with us. New York is pushing for more electric vehicles in the state. We hear the latest efforts from the New York Auto Show. And taxes are due in just a couple days. Have you figured out how to pay your crypto taxes yet? That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. This year, New York is putting the state's electric vehicle programs and an EV test track front and center at the International Auto Show. Anthony's Evelyn Lee has more about the state's electrification plans. It's New York's ambition to electrify all public bus fleets and vehicles, and it looks like owning one of these will become easier in the future as well. New York's governor spoke at the New York International Auto Show Wednesday and encouraged visitors to see how electric vehicles are becoming integral in New York's economy. With leaning hard into electric vehicles, and that is why by the year 2035, 100% of new vehicles sold in the state of New York will be zero emissions. Although New York saw a 50% increase in EV adoption last year, only roughly 1% of vehicles registered there are electric. But Lenny Singh, the senior vice president of customer energy solutions at Con Edison, says that growth will accelerate over time. And they're getting ready. So building out the infrastructure to get ready for customers to relieve range anxiety. As people um, you know, get those EVs, they want to be able to charge and go the distance they used to without having to stop for a charger. So we're ready to facilitate that. Con Edison offers to cover up to 100% of the costs of installing new chargers. But with electrification of transportation and heating, he's expecting a winter peak for demand. So we have uh, plans to build out the grid in anticipation of that over the next two decades and continue to invest. In terms of EV charging, our clean energy commitment really talks about 400,000 chargers by 2035. New York just enacted a plan to electrify all school buses by 2035 as part of the roadmap to electrify the state. In a $600 million green transmission project, the New York Power Authority wants to fund rebuilding and modernizing the state's electrical grid. Evelyn Lee, NTD News. And the Food and Drug Administration has approved a new Fitbit feature. It monitors heart rhythms. According to the company, an algorithm assesses volume changes in a user's blood, which determines heart rhythms. It then alerts the user if it detects a, an irregular heartbeat. According to Fitbit, more than 33 million people are affected by it. Those with the disorder are also five times more likely to have a stroke. Episodes come and go so often it's difficult to detect, but Fitbit says the new feature will soon be available across a range of the devices. And not just high-tech for your health, how about some high-tech coffee? Panera Bread is testing out an artificial intelligence-based coffee monitoring system. Sounds cool. 
system cook-right coffee is from a California company called Miso Robotics. The goal, quality and efficiency. The company says the system monitors coffee metrics such as volume, temperature, time data, uses predictive analytics aimed at creating the perfect cup of coffee. The system eliminates the need for manual checks of coffee urns. It's aimed at helping workers brew coffee at just the right time so the coffee stays fresh and hot. And Panera wants the system to free up workers to spend more time helping you, the customer. And former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey's first-ever tweet NFT has flopped big-time at auction. Last year, the non-fungible token tweet from 2006 sold to crypto entrepreneurs for $2.9 million. But recently, they put the NFT back up for sale, hoping for $48 million, but it didn't get much interest at all. The auction closed with only seven offers, and according to Coindesk, the highest offer for the NFT was $280. Flat, 280, not million or billion or anything. The owner had announced he would donate half the proceeds to charity. Now it's two days to accept the bid or not. We're guessing he will probably hold on to it. With the tax deadline quickly approaching on Monday, many people still haven't figured out how to pay their crypto taxes. Didisville Zoe recently sat down with one of the biggest crypto tax firms during the Bitcoin Miami conference. The adoption has grown, but the crypto tax literacy uh, has not grown that much, unfortunately. Shihan Chandra Sekura is the head of tax strategy at Cointracker, a top crypto tax firm. We got the chance to sit down right after his crypto tax panel at the biggest Bitcoin conference in Miami. So we recently uh, conducted a survey. Uh, we found some interesting findings. Um, we found out that more than 50% of the respondents didn't know uh, how to differentiate uh, a taxable event from a non-taxable event. Uh, for example, uh, a lot of people don't know when you uh, exchange one coin to another, that creates a taxable event. A lot of people didn't know when you spend your cryptocurrency to buy a good or service, that creates a taxable event. So what's the difference between crypto taxes and regular taxes? The most difficult thing when it comes to uh, crypto taxes is kind of figuring out or even where to start how to figuring out your taxes. Because if you're trading stocks and securities, you go to the exchange like Robinhood or something like that, you download the tax forms, uh, and that kind of tells you what needs to be reported on your tax return. But in the crypto space, it doesn't happen. You had to reconcile all the wallets and exchanges that you have uh, and figure out your capital gains and losses by applying the correct tax rules. How does crypto tax software like Cointracker help crypto investors? Cointracker is a software tool that enables you to connect all your wallets and exchanges and recalculate the crypto taxes for you automatically and in very easily. You know, our user experience is very simple uh, and we have partnered up with uh, major players like Coinbase, OpenSea and etc. to exclusively to, to provide crypto tax services for those users. Um, and then we support over 300 exchanges, over 8,000 currencies. We have tax uh, planning features like tax loss harvesting. You can uh, pick the different accounting method. What should people be concerned about and looking out for? So uh, the recently the government passed the infrastructure bill, 
Uh, as a result, the cryptocurrency exchanges are supposed to issue these Form 1099s. Uh, so those Form 1099s are going to go into the taxpayers' hand in 2024 Q1 if everything you know goes well. Um, so that's something actually good for the IRS and, and also for the taxpayers as well because that's going to make their tax compliance super easy. But if you're using multiple exchanges and multiple wallets, you will still have to use some type of reconciliation tool like CoinTracker to kind of figure out uh, the capital gains and capital losses. What challenges lie ahead? I think one of the challenges that we have is that the space is uh, moving so rapidly. Uh, last year, you know, we saw the boom of NFTs, and the year before that, we saw yield farming. And who knows what's going to happen this year, right? So there's new things happening, new protocols being built. Now we have, uh, you know, layer layer ones and layer twos, um, and then kind of figuring out the tax implications for those things because these are some of the things that the traditional finance has never seen. Phil Zhou, NTD News. Miami Beach. And to end today's show, some space news. NASA's Hubble Telescope has located what scientists believe is the largest comet, comet ever seen by astronomers. The estimated diameter of the comet is about 80 miles across, making it larger than the state of Rhode Island. That beats the previous record by about 20 miles. Judging by its nucleus, it's about 50 times larger than the average comet, weighs an incredible 100,000 times more. Although it appears to be blue in color through the space telescope, scientists believe the surface is actually blacker than coal. Fortunately, astronomers say the giant icy rock poses no risk to Earth. Phew. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney. Cancel catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For NTD Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.